I'm Michael Malley, and this is Michael the Storyteller Tells Tales. My grandma Mally died when she was 98 years old. I was a freshman in college in the year 1980. Which, if you do the math, she was born then in 1882. She was the youngest of eight children. Uh, my grandma was born in Pennsylvania and her six older siblings were also born I think all of them in Pennsylvania, but her eldest sister was born in Ireland because my grandma's parents, uh, Peter McKee and Ellen Biggerstaff McKee, came from Ireland. Now, as far as I know, neither my grandmother nor any of her siblings ever went back to Ireland. And I know my dad never did, and I don't think any of his siblings ever went to Ireland. And I know my siblings and it did not go to Ireland and I don't think any of my other cousins did, at least not that I know of. And so in 1987, seven years after my grandma had died, when I flew to Europe, I was intent upon visiting Ireland. I first spent some time in Belgium and France, and one of the things I picked up was to, I knew a few words of French because I had taken a year of French in college, but I, I would slow down my speech. Just out of respect for others, if they were willing to speak to me in English, I, I began to speak much slower. And I wasn't doing that in any kind of condescending way, I was doing that to honor the people that I was interacting with. Um, so I had already been on continental Europe for oh, about two months, month and a half, two months, when I decided to go to Ireland. And I took a ferry boat from Le Havre in France to the Republic of Ireland. And then I ended up working and living in Ireland for about three months' time. I landed a job uh, working in a homeless shelter with the Cork Simon community in Cork, Ireland. And it was, of course, in Ireland, most places you go, people are speaking English, but they're speaking with that Irish brogue, that Irish lilt. And I, of course, had heard the Irish brogue on TV with different characters over the years. But one of the things that I learned fairly quickly is that I would, I would work in the shelter in Cork, but then on my days off, I would travel all around. So I visited, you know, Kerry and Galway. I went to the north in Belfast and spent time in Dublin and just all over Ireland. And in different areas, in different regions, there's different dialects. So, you know, people in Ireland know that, you know, a Kerry man doesn't sound anything like a fella from Dublin or somebody from Galway. It sounds very different than somebody from Belfast. 
And uh, when I was working in the homeless shelter, there were a bunch of us, all of us probably in our, you know, early, mid, late 20s, maybe some of, the, some of the folks were in their early 30s. And we were working with these mostly homeless guys, and these guys tended to live at the shelter. Um, but all of us who were working there, um, everybody except for myself was Irish. Uh, there was one, one young woman who was from England, um, and then I was the Yank, I was the American. But things were said, and sometimes I didn't understand the words, so that I remember this uh, woman I'm working with, and she said one time, she says, Oh, he's such an idiot! I can't believe what an idiot he is. And I, I, I knew it was derogatory. I knew it meant something bad, but I didn't know what it meant. And finally, I realized that Egypt was idiot. And again, the pronunciation was so different that I, I, I couldn't even understand the word. And then one time they, they were sending me to the store and, and someone said, uh, Mick, when you go there, will you pick up some aluminum? And I had them repeat it four or five times. Mick, would you get the aluminum? And finally, I understood that I was to get the aluminum foil. And, and, and it wasn't just the, the differences in pronunciation. Sometimes they're just completely different words. Uh, so, for example, in Ireland, uh, when you're teasing each other, you know, giving each other kind of a playful hard time, that's called slagging, you know, where they're slagging each other. Um, and then another one that was really uh, common to, to say was uh, to speak about the crack. Oh, we went to the pub in the disco last night, and I tell you, the crack was fine. The crack was terrific. Now, this was in the midst of the, um, the crisis in America with crack cocaine, and so it sounded so odd because, because the crack, uh, which I believe is an old Irish word, the crack re refers to kind of, you know, the fun, um, uh, the activity there when you're when you're when you're gathered together so you had all these things and and so you know i'm there and 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 one day um uh I'm, I'm teasing i'm teasing one of the guys there and at that time too there used to be the old irish spring soap commercials and so so i put on this really you know terrible fake leprechaun -y kind of accent i go oh i need a little bit of irish spring to keep me nice and clean and and of course, you know, I'm laughing, but they're not laughing too much. And the one fellow, he says to me, he says, Mick, do you want to hear what a real American sounds like? And I said, what are you talking about? Oh, we talk about it here all the time in Ireland. Do you want to hear what an American sounds like? Now, you know, he's not talking about somebody from New York, or from Chicago, or, or somebody from Texas. He... he He's talking about an American accent. And, and, and I, I look at him and I go, there's no such thing as an American accent. And he looks at me and goes, oh, indeed is that a mick. As I told you, we speak of it here all the time. Here, I'll give it to you. Let me just get a drink of water first. So he took a drink. All right, Mick. Here is what you Americans all sound like to us. Here it comes. Uh, Give me a hot dog with ketchup on it. And of course he had the strong nasal twang. And, and I have to admit, a couple of weeks after this, I was in Dublin 
and I was at a little fish and chip place. And it was, it was a cool place because, um, you know, if you go out for fish and chips here in the States, usually there's one kind of fish. Well, they had a, they had a big menu board with, gosh, I don't know, 15, 20 different kinds of fish. So you could decide what kind of fish you wanted with, you know, with your fries for your fish and chips. And uh, a crowded place and a lot of people in there, you could hear the hum of people talking one to the other. And then all of a sudden, with all these voices, these kind of these humming voices of, of, of the Irish brogue, all of a sudden I hear this one voice and it says, Wow, Helen, look at all the different kinds of fish. And that, that nasally American voice just kind of rose above all the Irish voices and, and filled, filled the room. Now, there was one time when I was working in the homeless shelter and there was a fellow there by the name of Watson. You know, I, I actually don't remember what his actual name was. You know, everybody has nicknames, right? And, and his nickname was Watson. Well, I, I should tell you my nickname. Because, you know, there's a lot of Michaels, right? So, so people go by Mike or Mikes or Mick or Mickey and, and, and Michael and Michaels. So what are they going to call me? So I became Mick the Yank. So whenever anyone addressed me, they say, oh, ask Mick the Yank. Because, you know, I was a Yankee. I was an American. And the thing is, I could have been from Savannah, Georgia. They still would have called me Mick the Yank because I was, I was an American. So anyway, Watson is there in the room, and I'm sweeping the floor there at the, uh, at the homeless shelter. Watson and I both work there. And we called him Watson because he, he looked like Sherlock Holmes' assistant. He had this big kind of walrusy mustache, and he was a little bit portly, and he was kind of leaning against the wall there. He oftentimes had a pipe, uh, Watson did, even though he's a young man. And um, I'm sweeping the floor. And now by this time, I have been in Ireland, and almost always in the company of Irish people for a couple of months. I, I, very seldom at this time am I in any interactions with anybody from the States. So I'm sweeping the floor, and, um, and I look up at Watson and I go, oh, Watson, would you hand me the dustpan there? And he looks at me, and despite the mustache, I could see the grin spread across his face, and he goes, oh, did you hear that? There goes Mick, you know, his great-grandfather was Irish. He thinks he's really Irish too. He's trying to sound like a real Irishman. But the thing was, I was not trying to change my voice. I had just been there for so long that, you know, chameleon-like, I had started to pick up the brogue, the accent. And I look at him and I go, Watson, I wasn't trying to change my voice. And I heard myself and I go, Watson, I wasn't trying to change. Watson. I wasn't trying to change my voice. And I actually concentrated to try to get this kind of American accent back and to lose the Irish brogue. Now, it was, it was a few weeks after that, I was up in Dublin. Because as I said, you know, my days off, I travel about. And I was staying at a youth hostel. And I was there and I was, you know, youth hostels, it's... This particular one, many of them are like this, or at least they were back then. They would have a, you know, a room with a bunch of um, bunk beds in it, and then uh, there'd be a common room where people could just kind of hang out and visit, write postcards, etc. And uh, so it's kind of cheap lodgings. And so, so I'm there, and a lot of young people traveling about, always somebody from Australia. They, they, the Australians were always traveling, but you'd meet people from all over the world. So anyway, I'm, I'm there in the common room, and you know, sitting there writing in my journal or writing a postcard, 
and a fella comes by, and he happens to be a, a, a fellow American. He's uh, from Pennsylvania, and he and I are talking for some time. Now, remember, I picked up this thing on the continent in Belgium and France of slowing down my voice, and then I've now been in Ireland for a time, and I've started to pick up the brogue, and, <laughs> and so uh, this, uh, this fella, uh, you know, we're talking for a while, and finally he says, he says to me, he says, so, so where are you from? And I said, I'm from Ohio. <laughs> and he goes, in the United States? And I go, yes, I'm an American. I'm an American. I'm an American. And again, I had to concentrate to get that good American accent back. Um, even sometimes when I would talk to somebody who was from Ireland, um, you know, we'd be talking for a while and, and they would say to me, uh, finally, when they found out that I was a Yank, that I was an American, they go, Oh, geez, I was having the most difficult time figuring out where you were from. For for one moment, you sound like you're from Kerry. The next, you sound like you're from Dublin. I couldn't I couldn't figure out where you're from at all. <laughs> because I was, of course, having this melding of, of, of the different Irish accents. Um, even when I came home, uh, even today, my gosh, I, I was there in 87. And I went back and I, I revisited Ireland again in 2004, which was... Just a short trip, uh, but it was awesome. I, I, I was at, by 2004, I was doing the storytelling work and I love Irish tales. Uh, I, I love honoring that part of the, my heritage and just love the stories in general. So I went in 2004 to, um, to some of the castles and to the, you know, even a cave and a cemetery where some of the stories that I tell take place. Um, and so, so I could get a real good feel for them as I share these stories. And my other mission in, in 04 was that I was going to meet um, a fella, an artist by the name of Michael Rowland. He was living in Dublin at the time, and we had arranged, he was going to be illustrating um, a book that I was working on, a, a folktale story. It um, came out as a picture book, and I Tom Moore and the Seal Woman, an Irish tale. And so he and I visited the village of Kilshanig, uh, small little village, small village in the, on the Dingle Peninsula, where, again, where the story takes place. And so had these wonderful experiences, of course, back in 87 and then in 2004, uh, visiting Ireland. But when I come back to the States, and you know, even today, if I get out some of my old pictures, my old photos, I'll, uh, you know, I'll be showing them to my mom and I'll say, oh yeah, you know, mom, here's one of the castles that we've, here's one of the castles, here's one of the castles that we visited. Even just seeing the pictures, I'll start to just slip right into the brogue. Um, the, the, the kind of maybe one of the oddest examples of this was a few years ago, it was on St. Patty's Day, St. Patrick's Day. And this particular, uh, St. Patrick's Day, I had a number of gigs. I did a little, I did a little story on a radio program, and then I was in a, uh, I, I, I did a, I did a piece on a, on a local TV uh, station, and then in the evening there was a gathering, and I had been hired to tell Irish tales there. So basically, I was using the Irish brogue all day because I use it when I tell the stories. I can actually feel it coming up as I'm talking to you now, and a couple of friends, uh, my friends Eric and Donna, and another friend Ken, had come out. Uh, for my show at this at this uh, party or gathering, and I'd been using the Irish brogue all day long, all day long, and of course I saw them when they came and sat in the audience. And after I'd finished my program, I came back to the table and I sat down with them, and I just looked at them and I said, 
Oh, Eric. Donna Ken, I really appreciate you coming out. Do you hear that? I'm, I'm still speaking with the brogue. I, you know, I've been using, I've been using it all, all, all through the day, and and ah, oh, so I'm really appreciating. I'm really glad that you could come out. Oh, forget it. I've been speaking with the Irish accent all day, so I might as well just keep up with it. It's a bit easier. So I, I was so used to speaking with the brogue that particular day that. I actually sat with my friends and I spoke with an Irish broke for the rest of the night because it was just easier. You know, I, 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 it's the chameleon in me. I mean, even when I was a kid, um, you know, when, when, when we go, when I was in high school or college and we go to, uh, you know, Myrtle Beach or something like that in the Carolinas, and I'd be there a few days and before you know it, I, I, I'd be at a shop and I'd say, Thank you very much for that. And I thought, oh my gosh, these people, I almost wanted to cover my mouth. Like, they're going to think, this Yankee, now they're meaning a northerner, this Yankee's trying to insult us or something. But for me, it's just, um, it's just what I do. <laughs> and, uh, and, and again, so if you listen to uh, uh, episode one of Michael the Storyteller Tells Tales, you'll, you'll hear me tell the story of Lanty McCluskey. And of course, I use the brogue. And I'm sure we'll have more Irish tales coming up, maybe even next week. So uh, um, that's a little bit of uh, what's behind, what's behind the Irish accent uh, when I tell the stories. And I guess I'll close just by saying I remember that moment when I stepped onto the island, the Emerald Isle that we call Ireland, knowing that my great-grandparents, my grandma whom I love so much that her parents had come from this place, I think in the 1860s. And here I was, the youngest child of the youngest child of the youngest child of Irish immigrants, coming back and getting to step on that land. And so when I use that Irish brogue, if I use that Irish accent, I, I know I'm an Irish American, but I do hope that I do give honor to my ancestors, to the people of Ireland today, and especially to the old Irish storytellers. Thank you very much. another episode of Michael the Storyteller Tells Tales. <laughs>